Welcome to episode 5 of AngelCast with me, Adam Cunis. Me, Alex Lay. And me, Matt Hinton. Uh, this week we'll be talking um, about all the things, all the different types of play as ever, uh, with narrative matched. That's the other way around, but whatever. And uh, open as well, which are the three things that we always do. Um, in the matched play section, which is going to come first, <laughs> we're going to be talking about um, the scenarios, plural, um, within the current General's Handbook of Age of Sigma, in which it is possible to burn or destroy or remove from the field of battle the objectives. Um, so in particular we're talking about Scorched Earth and uh, Better Part of Valor. Um, I've had some, ex- well we've all now had experience playing those within a match play setting. We're going to offer some of our thoughts about how our lists have fared against them. How you might tailor your list um, towards events that are running them so that you can think about how to do that scenario and give our thoughts on the design of that kind of scenario uh, itself. In narrative, we're going to be talking about uh, campaigns and specifically um, how to plan a campaign and then how to not only direct it, but to ensure that the that the entity that you're creating excites the players and really gives them um, the flexibility to get the experience out of the campaign that they're, that they're particularly after and the groundwork that you can put in before dice are even rolled to um, to establish that and to create that level of excitement with particular reference to the Necromunda campaign uh, that I'm going to be running for our club which is due to start very shortly Nice, so in open play I'm going to be trying to sell Adam and Alex on Warhammer Champions because I have loads of shares in it no. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no, I'm going to be explaining how the game works How the so it's a new trading card game from Playfusion with Warhammer Age of Sigmar branding uh, including a physical trading card game and an app so I'll go through how the game works what I think is really good about it where I think it sits in my game's cupboard and uh, Adam and Alex are going to ask me questions Uh, Warning, this episode may include dramatic readings. Hello, uh, welcome to Match Play. Uh, so today, after a recommendation from Jay Channer, I believe, uh, yeah. who wanted us to explain how AOS 2 works, but more yes. specifically, uh, <laughs> some of the scenarios. Um, yeah. yes. so, we can't just explain all of the rules so that he doesn't have to buy books. Yeah, we'd need a much longer segment. Sorry, Jay. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go through some of the uh, scenarios uh, in the General's Handbook 2018. Today we're going to focus, I think, on the uh, what I call the burning objectives. Yeah, yeah. burn, baby, burn. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> These uh, are the ones where you uh, there are objectives on the table and you can basically get rid of them and then they can never be scored again for the yeah. game, right? Yeah, Correct. literally, yeah. So I think I, I liked when they introduced it because I liked the idea that it, it stops people camping. Yeah, um, and it also hashtag fuck dwarves. Uh, okay, it's a family show. Is it? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I saw um, her last week. I'm, I'm sticking to my gun. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, 
it stops people camping and also you've got variable scoring within the scenario itself right so that's I think that was always yes. the beauty of it um, I However, I think the most obvious thing... I mean, should we, we talk about how the scenario works first, right? Well, there are two, right? So, so how they both work. Yeah, so Adam, you go through the scenario. So the one we're going to look at, because it's in the... You're more likely to play this one at the moment if you're going to an event is... Um, oh, that's not what you're giving me. You're giving me Scorched Earth. So that's <laughs> I so apologise. The, the one that is... Um, the one that is <laughs> the old possibly one. updated, the old one in inverted commas. The General's Handbook 2017 objective burning scenario is called Scorched Earth. Sometimes battles are fought out to, uh, not to destroy the enemy, but to seize their resources and carry them off. Raiding parties will strike into enemy territory, capturing an objective and searching for any hidden treasures before raising what remains to the ground to deny its use to the enemy. Well, that makes more sense of it than I've never read that bold section before because it doesn't it's tell me how I win. No. <laughs> um, so um, it's using the regular pitch battle rules. We've got um, kind of long table edge deployment. Um, yep. Players roll off as usual um, you're nine inches from enemy territory so that's changed from that's the changed from the previous one yeah 2017 uh, um, oh, it was always 12 from middle before yeah, right yeah indeed um, which so was the, a stupid rule on a 6 by 4 because 12 from middle is 24 apart that's pretty reasonable yeah a lot more no, of them just, have sorry, turned no, to no I meant like the, the semantics of 12 oh, from yeah, the middle yeah. I much prefer it as 12 from the middle because it means that you can actually play it on a slightly smaller kitchen table um, because you can have a smaller footprint and still play the scenario. I guess. Yeah. I guess you're, yeah. you're measuring from the middle line, so I think it provides accessibility. Well, to because it's a match play game. scenario, I was talking about regulation size tables. Yeah, actually. Fair enough. So. Um, this battle is fought to control or raise six objectives, um, and they are located as shown on the map, which you can't see. They're in the centre uh, of, of each of two by sixths. two. Yeah. yeah. Of the sixths. Yes. Yeah. Um, so glorious victory the player with the most victory points at the end of the fifth battle round or when the amount of yes always the fifth battle round shut up um, why have they put that as a caveat never mind if the players are tied on victory points at the end of the game then add up kill points and that's minor um, and the scoring works as follows victory points each player scores one victory point at the end of each of their turns for mm -hmm. each objective they control mm -hmm. so up to six a turn I guess um, starting from the second battle round a player can raise an objective they control in enemy territory, mm -hmm. scoring D3 victory points instead of 1, but removing the objective from play. And it's that D3 that I dislike from this scenario. Because yeah. it's the random. Because it's, yeah. it's random. Although it is six dice rolls that can decide a game, which over five battle rounds is slightly more interesting than some of the scenarios. So yeah. I don't dislike it as much as I used to. But I can burn two and you can burn four and I can still win. I can't burn four because you can only burn your opponent's Oh yeah, yeah, that's which is right. Different to yes. um, the one we're going to talk about in a minute, which yes. is the better part of Valor. Well, let's describe that one as well, and then we can sort of go at it as how you approach okay, each of the scenarios. A few pages further on. So the other one, the newer one, the 2018 General Sabbath one, is called the Better Part of Valor. Um, it is important to learn when to hold on in order to ensure victory, and when to fall back in the face of unbeatable odds. A battle can be decided by the general most capable of resolving this difficult dilemma, um, which is slightly more. A, th a thermal and less to do with the scenario um, so players roll off winner decides territory the territory is identical um, the objectives are in the central point of the table sixths on a sixth by four so uh, same there as are previous. six of them and you yeah. are have to deploy wholly within their own territory more than nine inches from enemy territory and it's deployed long table edge to long table edge as well so it's exactly the same setup is, yeah. that, is that true 
Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It seems. Yeah, it is. The, the, map, the, is the map is drawn differently with different arrows on it, but useful it means yeah. the same thing. Great. Um, good. So again, most victory points wins a major, and if you're tied on the major at the end of five battle rounds, then minor victory is decided by kill points um, in rules as written. Although certain tournament packs most likely change those win conditions. Um, so, in best part of Valor. At the eight, end of each of their turns, a player can can choose to destroy one or more of the objectives they control. So yes. that's inclusive of the ones in your home territory. Uh, for the following victory points. Um, one victory point if you gain control this turn. Uh, if the player control the objective at the end of their last turn and has not lost control of it since, they score two victory points. Um, so I guess that means you can move away because that's how scoring yeah, works. Yeah, so that's, you can tag. That's interesting. Yeah. Tag and go. Um, if the player control the objective at the end of their turn before last and has not lost control of it since, they score four victory points. Um, if the player gain control of the objective in the first battle round, and this is key and people play this wrong all the time, so I'll say that again, if the player gained control of the objective in the first, first battle, battle round, round and, has not, yet, and yeah. has not lost control of it by the end of their turn in the fifth battle round, they score eight victory points. Yeah, A lot of the time people burn stuff like just in... Anyway, they're wrong. So you can um, gain it in the bottom of one and then get eight victory points top of five. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, if more than one of these criteria applies, use the one that scores the most victory points once destroyed an objective is removed from play so what are the what are the points it's one one two, two four no eight. one two two four eight or one no it's not to do with the game turn it's to do with how long you've had it yeah but how many turns so um one is one yep two is two yep um three and four is four yeah four, three so it's one two four four, four, four eight eight yeah yeah okay cool yeah, and so I'm burning. Well, assuming you've had them from turn one, it's it's still that you've had it for two or more turns is for. Just a question on that as well. Okay. When you burn it, do you burn it before you score or after you score? Uh, at the end of their turn. Yeah, so you burn it as you score. Basically, so you can score. Yeah. The only way that you score it, in that, you is don't by tick burning. up in this one. Yeah. So in Scorched Earth, you score a point when you every turn you control it. Yeah. And D three when you destroy it. In better part of Valor. It doesn't tick up. You only score when you burn it. So, so oh right, you only score when you yeah. burn it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, mean unless nothing when so they're on the table. Until, apart from control. Until battle round five, it could still be nil nil. Okay, and it could have been sitting on. You could literally just sit there and be nil nil, and then burn all three objectives for eight, and your opponent does the same thing and draw on that. Yeah. Whereas in, and that would be. Uh, it would be 20, risky. 24 24 as opposed to scorched earth where you would be, you'd just be rolling 63 at the end of the game yep it's okay. true yeah it sounds more like it should be a draw but anyway so what do you guys what do you guys think of these scenarios obviously games workshop seems to like them as they yeah. basically wrote a new one that is even more extreme than scorched earth admittedly getting rid of the randomness um yes yeah. what do you like about them um i mean as you know i'm more of a narrative player and i like no, you're full on match. Now. I'm full on match now. I am nine actually. I've got nine I've got ether balloons. Nine and nine yeah. ether balloons. Um, so no, sorry. What I meant by that is I like the, the fact that they they are a scenario that Phil that has some um, story driven behind it. Which what we would you know it comes back to what we were discussing earlier. That just because uh -huh. it's match play doesn't mean it doesn't have to have um, you know kind of a 
a narrative behind it. Yeah. Um, I think my issue with it, and this is purely on observation, so this is anecdotal evidence, so I'm perfectly happy to be wrong, is it's all to do with the matchup. And I feel that this is this type of scenario has consistently been one of those scenarios where if you have brought the wrong list and your opponent's got the right list, your game's over in turn one and that's yeah. it. And if you happen to be at a tournament, mm-hmm. and we've discussed this between us again, you know, it's a match play scenario, so around. it should be written for that. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah, I get that. What I'm saying is, it for me, it comes down to that I've paid 40, 50, maybe 60 quid plus to be at an event. One of my games is going to be this scenario. I go against Order Dracunis for want of a better example. Sure. And yeah, um, I'm agreeing and, with you. And, and, and my, and my, my, my game is over in 15 minutes just by seeing what models are on your opponent's train alone do yeah. actually doing I, anything I think I agree with that I think I don't like as you'll see from the Angel Core pack uh, games that are over very quickly I yeah. think yeah I agree you've paid to be at a tournament and like what happened at the Six Nations where Mick <laughs> made a mistake and funnily put all of his Stormcast stuff in the sky <laughs> gave his opponent <laughs> turn one and all of the objectives were burned before he came down yeah so yeah, but all of the objectives for yep. six points, and yep. then there's no objectives left on the table. Yep. So game so over. I, I yeah. disagree with that, and as you can see from the the Angel Core pack has secondaries, so that you would then continue playing the game, and there would yeah. be stuff yeah. to do. But if I you're just playing well, primaries, right? yeah. mm, then it right. is annoying. Adam, what do you think? Um, I I've done very well at them, but haven't enjoyed winning those games. Sure. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how tactical it would be with a more foot slogging army. So the yeah, Living City list exactly. that I'm currently uh, yeah. putting together is um, certainly has some alpha potential with the deploying nine inches away along table edges. But that's actually obviously much when you're only nine and nine, you're only eighteen away. Yeah. Um, actually, that maneuverability within this list is is less essential. Yeah. Um, the big thing for me is the um, the kind of core rules. Um, change on what scores yeah. so I think I feel that the meta is shifting towards kind of MSU at which point units of 20 which is going to cap these and burn them become important because they trump right it's majority models it's majority models so I could have four units of five yeah and that would be the same as your one unit of 20 cool. yeah so I come in and wipe one of those out and don't go into a combat with the other three and just yeah. burn it so is the yeah. answer wounds instead of models no, it's just no, models. It's models. No, is the answer wounds instead of models? I'm what saying is that, is that a way of comping it? So that's um, no, I think no, keep the, we've, keep we've, the scoring we've seen, we've seen that and, and it's tricky. Um, it comes down to having played it. Uh, I, I wondered whether the objectives go... Um, well, okay, so the objectives are in the middle. So they're 12 inches in, right? Yeah. And yeah. you're deploying nine inches away from the line. Yeah. So some armies you're going to be able to put something super resilient, and that, that e.g. Is a, Nurgle, in front. That's a big difference compared to what it used yeah. to be because you, you just can put three stuff, inches away and you destroy can also, it. Yeah, you can put stuff three in the way. Yeah. So they can't yeah. just walk up and get Oh, you can screen it from the offset. You can screen well. yeah. the you can screen it. But also you can leave it as well. If you're confident nothing will get past that screen, you can walk yeah, off. Yeah, if they need yeah. the charge to get yeah. into it yeah. you can you can back off and be six inches behind it yeah. and yeah. still be scoring it yeah. and then it's more and that's that's, that that's where I've called people out with it because they've deployed for that and not expecting me to be able to charge it and then the Draconis yeah. stuff gets there and smashes yeah, people yeah of course it gets across and the board, it's how but... it's how Tom did well with um, 
his mixed destruction list Imagine as well as people go yeah I understand that that can go far but no one actually quite appreciates how quick some stuff in the game is especially now especially when you're 18 apart I yeah DOK are benefiting from that as well right yeah yeah. although weirdly I was speaking to um, Simon about this on uh, on our twi- uh, no, Twitter chat sorry WhatsApp chat you can chat on Twitter can chat on Twitter but that's not what we were talking it's not an efficient way um, it's not at all <laughs> um, and what he was saying which is quite right is that so just playing devil's advocate with this scenario is actually this scenario can be really really fun if you've both got mobile lists so you can end yes. up in a scenario situation where you are actually it, there is a passing of the objectives um, every every turn so, yeah. you are, so there is a, a constant flow of securing and losing but yeah. I just feel that in a match play event there's going to be a lot of people who have built lists knowing that they can meta their opponent off this scenario um, quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, and that's my only. I mean, all right, it's a match play event. I'm not saying those people shouldn't do that because that's how you win events. Fine, Mm. that's not perfectly appreciated. And also, it is only one scenario. So if that's your one trick pony and you're crap at everything else, then two out of eighteen. Yeah, I feel like if you're good at this, you'll be good at a couple of the other scenarios. Exactly, like particularly relocational. I mean, it, it's also indic- indicative of what Games Workshop want from AOS, which is a fluid movement, objective-grabbing-based game where you have yep. to make decisions in real time about actually and, and figure out the mathematics. Yep. Yep. It's something Tom is very good at, is going, if I do this now, I've won, and I can then sacrifice Tom's, my army. Tom's not very good at anything. Okay. <laughs> you, you go and win an event Aww. with a list in AOS 2. Uh, and He's not I'll, even here I'll to defend you. himself. No, I know. That's why um, I said it. Yeah, fair enough. Um... All I will say anecdotally is that when I've seen this scenario played at top tables in the first couple of events of AOS 2, it's been five of the objectives have been burned straight away by something ridiculous and the other player has to hold on to the one objective they have to score eight at the end. And whilst that has some jeopardy and interest, as a, actually as a spectator game, that's quite exciting. It's quite which cool. Is, which yeah. is very rare in Age of Sigma. Like, it's mm. not a very accessible game to look at and understand, um, despite great things that people are doing with Twitch and what have you. Like, actually often you can't walk up to the table and really appreciate what's going on but walking up to this scenario or particularly better part of Valor and go five of the objectives went that's five points um, and now they're going to try and kill this whole army to stop it but if they don't then they've lost Yeah. Um, and then like choosing to go first or second becomes interesting again which I do like about relocation or because it forces like armies that were traditionally alpha to go second here again you've got a choice of actually if I've won the priority turn five I, maybe I have to go first to get the points but then I'm yep. going to lose the army and if you're going to events like Pompey Pillage or Angel Call where destroying somebody's army or not having your own stuff killed actually if you take that turn you leave yourself exposed and it does make it more tactical yeah. um, but yeah. perhaps not with the sorts of lists we've seen so far but I would I would hesitate to suggest that or I wouldn't hesitate to suggest rather that AOS 2 has seen some really incredibly extreme lists so far and I feel like yep. it will settle down a bit and then these scenarios yeah, might seem I mean, a bit more that's totally uh, appropriate yeah that's totally fair enough I mean, what do you think Matt? Oh, sorry, uh, no sorry I was just going to say when any new edition drops there's going to be um, you know the pendulum's always going to swing between extremities until until balance is restored but sorry Matt yes you were saying I, I can't remember what I was going to say um, <laughs> I was uh, gonna say, do you think there's more games won so far uh, by Alpha Strike lists in these kind of scenarios? Then uh. Scorcher <laughs> definitely was like that. We had Myrtle Host, we had 
uh, you were very good at it with Order Draconis and anything. That I actually get struggle. The table. I actually struggle with it with Order Draconis because I didn't have the board coverage. Sure. To so protect uh, and burn. Vanguard Wing was very yeah. very good at it. Yeah. Um, Murder Host was very good at it. Et cetera, I'm much. I'm much better um, at the new one with Order Draconis because yeah. I can I can elect to go second, assuming that they're slower than me. Hold mine, win the priority, and burn theirs. Sure. Or go across and stop them coming coming yeah. at me, and still kind of be holding mine with stuff but, I can leave at so home more affordably. So do you think do you think it favours a certain type of list? Yes. This thing is it is that uh, list yes, Alpha Strike? It's Alpha Strike with bodies, so yeah. um, or damage output, and actually those right. two aren't quite the same thing. So I think if you take as well, so Murder Host would be your yeah. Alpha Strike with bodies. Yes, um, or on a, a kind of diluted end of that scale, my list versus Pete's list, where you have four dragons as opposed to three, and yeah. you only have fifteen knights as opposed to thirty. So, yeah, like, I diluted, can, but yeah. I can at eighteen inches, I can string out and tag one guy within six of my home objective, and have the majority of the unit in combat yeah. at the other side of the board, like relatively easily at that distance. Sure. Uh, with the you know, you gotta gotta watch out for star drakes and. Marathi and things to not remove half your unit. So that but. that was my that was my follow up question. If you can if you can basically score one for eight points and guarantee it with some kind of model like a Star Drake and a Castellan or yeah. Marathi and her buffs or and something else, then is that the way to actually like guarantee a win on this I think, scenario? I think you've you hold got to, one yeah. and then you try and wipe out whatever you can on the board and you just make sure that you get eight from one of them. I, I think that factors into your decision making when you mm. because you know we've always said play the game in front of you seems to be a yeah. bit of a mantra. I think that definitely factors in decision making. I think so when I played this scenario I knew that with my Sylvaneth or Adam Sylvaneth as it were but the Sylvaneth I was using yeah. that because of teleporting and um, the balloons that was running in the list that could gra um, grapnel hook etc I got a couple of alpha strikes off and burnt a couple of ejectors and the, the game was kind of over by top of two yeah. um, but equally in that build, I had that Tree Lord Ancient that was um, sort of that was one. that could yeah. hold one and stand there all day, yeah. um, with the Theory Amulet. Yeah. So actually, I think there is some flexibility within armies to be able to make that decision whether or not yeah. you're going to have to go for it. Um, and on that basis, I think that some some lists are going to look at this star and go, right, that's it. We're going to bubble up around one objective in the corner and that's how we're going to play this game and, and, and let the enemy run right and we'll deal with it systematically and I yeah. think you have to commit to that um, if that's how you're going to you know if you don't have that alpha strike potential I think it's uh, for me what's been interesting about playing particularly the better part of Valor um, I haven't played the updated version of Scorched Earth yet but I imagine it's similar but it would you know different scoring so different um, uh, kind of prioritisation of doing things in, in different battle rounds uh, is I've enjoyed deployment yeah, I'd got sure, to a point sure. where actually with a lot of the General's Handbook 1 scenarios um, my list does what it does and yeah. then I worry about the scenario in a kind of secondary context you deploy the same in all of them right whereas with this one I've got a choice to go um, and just to completely give away how I've won this scenario 9 times out of the 10 that I've played it so uh, if you're playing me at Angel Core I am running a different list <laughs> um, is I just deploy out of battalion as slowly as I can assuming that I'll still just outdrop my opponent uh, obviously it didn't work out at Bobo because they'll still roll off at that point 
Um, and I deploy deep. I oh, deploy. I deploy more than eighteen away, confident that they can't get enough bodies across the board, and most people can't in in the way that I can, and uh, at least not to guarantee those charges. And I let them come in on one corner, and then pivot the rest of my army around the other side and smash everything else off. Yep. So you make sure that you're holding one of either your left or right flank, yeah. but you move as far away from that as possible and threaten their other objectives, and then you're forcing your opponent to make a choice between gunning for your objective, at which point, can they can they hold can it? Can they be that fast as well? Um, can they be that fast? Can they actually get through their line? Perhaps there's terrain blocking, maybe there's multiple combats in the way, that sort of thing. If you don't have flying, you don't have the vast movement, you're probably not going to get across. Uh, and you just kind of close the barn door. Yep. So I'd kind of use one corner as a pivot, hit across the, the diagonally opposite corner, and then try and close the gap. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't work all the time, but it has been an effective way of dealing with it. But your list has got the momentum to close the bond on. Absolutely. Gonna, so, you know, Absolutely, but it, to do that. it's not it's not unique in that anymore. Yeah. No, no, true, um, no. That no. style of list you can do effectively with Beast Claw. Um, yeah. Paul would have done that very well against me um, at Bobo were it not for shackles and some lucky um, shackles. shackles yeah and, and for some lucky Shackle like shame. priority based stuff like you don't take two turns of my army hitting you in the face no it's true um, uh, you can also do it very effectively with eels I would imagine um, that kind of yeah it's generally okay for that list I think that the new Beast of Chaos book is going to be effective with some ambushing mm, some oh look fast stuff. now I'm here so yeah. you've, if you're going to deploy to protect it in front you are 12 inches in intentionally so possibly somebody's going to come on the back of the board I don't know quite what the ambushing rules are going to be for that but Based on how they function since fifth edition, yeah, it will be similar. It won't surprise it? me if it's yeah. something. It's going to be quite similar to that to what that movement that Sylvaneth have access to with the uh, teleporting banners and so. Wanderers and yeah. Seraphon and yeah. Living City. Loads and of stuff. There's so much in the game now that can do this scenario yeah. so, um, that I think it does make it interesting. Sure. So on that note, if you were if you were speaking to some like teenager or somebody that's barely played. AOS too. I don't talk to teenagers. They well, at, at Games Workshop or whatever. George, Ima- yeah, George. No idea <laughs> how to play it. They're just about to play their first so game funny. of. Let's go with better part of Alex. It's slightly yeah. more likely. What one like piece of advice would you give them? Um, burn everything, turn one, and smash your opponent in the face. <laughs> yeah, good. That sounds. Go mega aggressive. Enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. Go big or go home. Yeah. Um, if you, that's the only. It's the only. It's terrible it's, advice. The, it's, the, it's the only. <laughs> If you have never played that scenario before and you don't know what you're doing, go big or go home and see yeah. how it works you out. Can, you. you can sort of right. like go ahead, panic your opponent and yeah. see if they like be make re- a mistake. Exactly, exactly. be yeah. reckless because then you you'll, get, make, you'll you put burn, the onus on them to be If you burn sensible. like three and are yeah. holding another like two of them, making them make a yeah. choice as to what one they go for, yeah. then they can really... Um, they can really make mistakes suddenly. Yeah, I think as an actual piece of advice, yeah, yeah. Um, the the biggest thing to look out for in terms of deployment and the important role is what side of the table you're going to be on in terms of um, mysterious terrain. So if there is a large piece of like, and there often will be a large piece of terrain near one of those six objectives that is mystical, mm. if you can be there, yeah, for the and they have to come to you and take it off yeah. you. That's really exciting. Having um, a particularly six more if you, bodies. especially if you already have one. So like daughters are going to do well there. Yeah. Death is going to do well there. If you can play for that, um, especially if you're death, because you're going to be being outdropped. That's going to be what the game is. Yeah, definitely. I think the other piece of advice would be if you've 
read the internet anytime recently you decided to All put cogs in your list yeah my recommendation would be think very carefully about whether you want them down at all yeah um, because of the mutually beneficial yeah. um, situation that cogs are creating and it's yeah. and I think people are undervaluing just how much your, it benefits your opponent as compared to you I think uh, I, so I learnt one lesson that I'd like to pass on to some somebody which is sort of why I asked the question uh-huh. where at, at Six Nations uh I won the turn roll in like turn four and it was a very very close game in better part of hour and I gave it to my opponent not realizing that if he turned some runs and retreats into sixes then he could jump over the top of my army and burn two of my objectives with no problems whatsoever and what we didn't did that uh, plague drones and ah, another unit right. he had two command points Flying stuff, basically. it was near command yeah. points get to but it just so watch for flying units and watch for guarding your own objectives when you don't think you need to especially yeah. when you're doing the turn roll just take a step back and have a think if I give this to my opponent or if I take this then can I go and jump over the top and get things this turn and make the game over or on the converse are they going to be able to jump over the top yeah. and mm-hmm. have I actually, am I actually still controlling my objectives properly it's a very hard game to play against daughters in in that respect. Yeah. You're, you're expecting they two units of canaries just being like, oh, did did you move away? That that is sad. Exactly. Yeah, that sort of thing. You've really got to pay attention to. Uh, so the the other thing that I was going to ask quick to you two seems like I'm slightly interviewing you. That's but fine. I, um, I, mean, I am an expert. If I told play. you now, you've got your well, the idea of what you would take as match playlists for Angel Core. I have my exam and. Um, <laughs> Northern Ireland. Northern Irish tournament, whatever it's called, Northern Invasion yeah. for Alex. No, if I told you, Ulster, Ulster, something, Ulster Warlords, Ulster. Yeah. War- oh, that's the club, isn't it? It's Shamrock, like Guinness. Um, wow, <laughs> something. Wow. And now a message <laughs> from <laughs> <our> sponsors. <laughs> what? No, our sponsor oh is Donuts. What are you asking? Um, if I told you that Angel Core or that was going to be Scorched Earth, better part of Valor, Scorched Earth, better part of Valor, Scorched Earth or a similar thing where we just played those scenarios or if you guarantee that you're going to play that what do you, you change about that list? Everything. Everything? Yeah, the, the Living City list I've written does not play this as well as the Order Draconis army that's sitting on my shelf. So you'd take Order Draconis instead of Living City? 100. But if, if the entire okay. event was yeah, yeah. going to be scenarios... Well, that's why I'm going to the absolute yeah. extreme. Like, yeah, if yeah, you the, absolutely know that it's these kind of scenarios that are up... Yeah, I, w- I would 100% do that. Because it's more aggressive, or um, it's more sort of guaranteed, and you know how to play it in those scenarios. I don't die quickly enough, sure, and it's fewer drops. Fair enough. So I'm more likely to get to go first, and I think putting your opponent on the back foot is key. And my living yeah. city list has possibly has the staying power that the order of Draconis doesn't. But yeah. in terms of potentially alpha strikey scenarios like this, and that's how I play. So whether or not it's the best way of playing the scenario, it? it's how I'm comfortable playing. Yeah. I, I would be running something different. Alex, what changes would you make? Um, given the Ironbark Wargrove list that I've just written, probably not a lot. I think because I, I think it's pretty it, solid at it. Well, I will admit, I, I think I wrote it largely with this kind of scenario in mind. Okay. Um, and because I wanted plenty of movement and flexibility to um, mm-hmm. also. So- it shoots off people, right? But then how does it get to the objectives after Gra- it's shot them? Grapnel launchers. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> it and just pulls itself onto the objective. It has grapnel yeah. launchers, and you've also got the branch witch that's put. Grapnel launchers are shooting phase, though. 
end of shooting phase. Ah, so you shoot off the thing that's three then, inches then, in front of it. And then fly away. And then, and then fly, fly into it. Into so into that it. You're or fly away regardless of what you want well, to do. So, so it doesn't work if somebody's screened it with 10 skinks yeah. and then put a block of 40 skinks six inches behind it. No, uh, no. So that's, that's when they, so that's when yeah. they shoot the ten skinks and then charge the forty skinks and chain charge, them off, yeah. chain, chainsaw them all off. them off. Yeah, no, sure. But uh, I mean, in theory, I mean, but yeah. if it's me rolling the dice, then very double one, the, in very roll, yeah. double one. Yeah, it, I mean, what he said. Yeah, sure. No, <laughs> it makes sense. It's it's a good list, right? I think I would I would probably consider taking <laughs> the uh, aspect of the storm variant where you can become immune for a turn. Oh yeah, so you, you charge him in they he does a load of damage. They counter charge with something amazing, and I go, well, I'm immune for this turn, yeah. and then you jump him over again, yeah. yeah, and go and burn some objective. I think he yeah. he's an interesting one where you can almost guarantee burning somebody's stuff. Mm. Yeah, and if I knew that it was all five scenarios, I might even take there's two artifacts, and I might even take two storms and just have fun with that that would be yeah. a cool list that would be it'd be pretty cool funny list. yeah it's 800 points of storms that are then like I'm immune not, and immune I'm not two sure separate that artifacts that do it an event that ran those two scenarios five up to five times would get my money yeah no fair no I'm, I'm just I mean Angel it's purely academical to my house I mean, presumably but, um, within four years there'll be five variants of this scenario yeah probably maybe anyway We'll anyway, be playing for you, by then, because probably has a that's, shelf life. That's been a pretty good chat about yeah. about those. Um, if you want us to cover any other any other particular mission types uh, or anything in particular, then Just, please feel free to ask on Twitter or. Yep. What's the handle? Does anyone at remember? Angel Wargamers. Yep. At Hadrio Kane. Or, or, or <laughs> Adam <laughs> checks it much more often yeah, than anybody is, else. Yeah. 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 Just tweet Adam. He looks at his phone. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, so we'll fair. be back after a short break for uh, some narrative chat. Yeah. Welcome to Narrative. Yeah, our uh, non-Vox recordings in Hive Primus. Yeah, there you go, Adam, so, version of this segment. So <laughs> I'm, I'm weeping now because Matt has remembered sci-fi words. Yeah. Yep. Um, so just for clarity for the listener, this is our third take of the narrative section because <laughs> of technical difficulties. Yeah. Um, and Adam said, said some very very bad words. I mean, that's just mischaracterization. <laughs> I will I will have you for slander. I, I was going to call it slander. So. <laughs> it was libelous. Anyway, um, narrative. Narrative, yeah. So, um, uh, we, I've mentioned on previous episodes that we're starting as Angel Wargamers. Our club is starting a narrative campaign for Necromunda. Ooh. And it's starting in two weeks' time, two, three weeks' time. We're going to have a kick-starting day. Yes, in, I don't know why you're looking at me about time I've no idea it's on the 23rd whenever it's on the 23rd so that's all you needed to know 2018 Adam thank you very much (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, and actually so we're going to talk about that campaign a little bit later with some uh, dramatic readings but uh, in the meantime it got me thinking about (laughs) (laughs) wow Um, super serial super serious oh my god Um, so what it did get me thinking about was actually just in general about running uh, narrative campaigns I think having now stepped up to run this campaign for Necromunda and having been involved in AOS narrative for um, well for the last couple of years um, it's actually a lot of work and you really have to put a lot of effort into the osmosis of dictating how the narrative is going to work 
and how it's going to be structured, but equally being very sensitive and open to the experience that the players themselves want to get out of the campaign because ultimately it is narrative, that's the point of it. Otherwise, it, it would just have that same kind of dictatorial structure as, as matched. Um, and actually, I, that, that's where I was going to sort of pass it over to you, Mr. Hinton, because you've been running, well, you've been a, a dungeon master for 20 years, I believe. 20 years, yep, uh, as you found out in the first two takes. As we found out in the first two takes. <laughs> Previously, yeah. this took the form of questions, but now we know the answers. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> It's fair. Um, we didn't get far, so it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, I just wanted you to to get your thoughts on how you go about striking that balance when you're running a running a D and D campaign, for example. The balance of um, keeping it structured and keeping it um, directing it, but yeah. also being open to how the experience that the players want to get out of it. So I think an important part of that is uh, making sure that the players want the same as you want is certainly this applies in a D&D group because you're all in it while it seems like there's five people enjoying the game and one person that's running it I know what I want to run in the next campaign that I want to run I knew what I wanted to run before I started running this one and I knew what I wanted to run before that etc and you just have to yeah. have a sit down and make sure that that is where your players are that make sure that they are up for and I did this with the Curse of Star Strat group right mm-hmm. we had a sit down and I said you know, I'd really like to play gothic horror, and we went, yep, yep, and I'd we really went, we like, like for it to be quite, uh, quite a like tense and very sort of, uh, you're not all just a force of good working against a known evil in the land. You're kind of there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of inter-party relationships that get messed up and repaired and back and forth. So I just made sure that everything. <laughs> Worked, Braylon. <laughs> yeah, worked with the players in the way that I wanted the whole thing to run. So that's where, and if I, because I do that, it means that I don't really need to ever uh, hold back in dictatorship. Because yeah. it means it means that I don't have to do any dictatorship. Sure. Because it's been sort of decided at the start. But how and about as long as I stick to that vision? Okay. Then I don't feel like I ever dictate a game. I never say. You know, you guys are now railroaded onto this track, and you're going to this town, and you're going to do this adventure, and that is the only thing that I have prepared. Yeah, but that. Yeah. But how do you build in that work. flexibility? Th- that is just work. Yeah, I'm that, that's what I'm finding. That is, that's that exactly is, what I'm finding. That is yeah. work and a confidence from of improv that comes from experience, basically. Yeah. Um, you have to have a good idea as to where you want to go and then sometimes you can just go you know what I'm not ready give me five minutes mm-hmm. and then I'll be ready and I'll come back to you yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. Um, I, I would suspect that it also comes down to um, players and knowing who you're going to involve in a campaign and what their kind of attention span is going to be and knowing what they want out of it uh, and, and you can be as kind of like direct about that as possible like, yeah I absolutely am yeah no no exactly mm. I, I mean you know taking that kind of D&D all of ethos this, and all applying of this it applies. to any yeah, narrative yeah. game you absolutely. be that inquisitor be that rogue trader be that yeah um, necromunda and actually I think um, Adam while we talk about inquisitor because you were actually recognised recently on the Act Tribe form, forum weren't you for your days back in the conclave yeah, I signed up and like did one post, and some guy was like, "Oh, are you Hadriel Kane that was on the Conclave forum?" I was like, "A decade ago, sure." Wow. So, uh, but um, yeah, so that be, was really nice. But you played out the majority. I think I probably were one of the most dedicated Inquisitor players 
for when it actually was was out, right? You, yeah. you went to the the, the I went events. To the, the I keep saying tournaments, but it's not a tournament. The events, uh, as it were. We call it a GT. Yeah. Um, there were prizes. I mean, the prizes were narratively focused in the same way that Realms at War is arguably a tournament. Yeah. Um, it's also a campaign weekend. Um, yeah, I went to what I believe was the inaugural Inquisitor GT in about two thousand and nine, maybe two thousand and eight. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a few years after the game's out of print, anyway. Um, what I liked about that is that the storytelling um, and the management of that was split between all of the players who were attending. So within the two days of a weekend, you are expected to GM at least one game, okay. and you've written that scenario yourself. Cool. Okay, that's cool. Which was an awesome format, and I believe yeah. that the guys on the Conclave still do that. That website still exists. Yeah. Um, www.the-conclave.co.uk. Um, you need to click through to the inner sanctum on there, um, and they still have meetups. They had a meetup at the LGT this year. They did. I was playing um, Necromunded a couple of tables down from them. Right, yeah. and so that format is brilliant, um, but it would perhaps be less effective in a longer term campaign within a wargaming group, which is where we find ourselves with the Necromunda campaign. It's the other difference uh, between like a campaign weekend and a campaign, right? Because even. Uh, what was the one that we went to in Weymouth or not Weymouth uh, in, in Margate, Kent, Margate, Margate yes. uh, Rise, um, of Empires. Rise of Empires Rise of Empires yeah which was which was run as if it was much more flexible in terms of where the story went but it's still because there is so little time in between games and you, you're trying to have so many games affect such a uh, that are all playing the same scenario have yeah. an impact on the total narrative mm-hmm. you are constrained by that well they weren't even playing the same scenario was it it was sometimes it was you're sometimes, on this table doing that scenario go yeah. to that part of the pack but at the thing, end of the day it? it was a kind of did you win or lose yeah yeah, yeah that sure. came into one big thing did you get then, some points or not yeah which so, is ultimately how games workshops global campaigns always used to run right so like you play games and you submit how well your faction is doing which then there are yeah. like a create your own story book or like follow to which page and whatever yeah. um that's kind of how things like Storm of Chaos um, developed and then were ignored because people had but this more orcs than people realised. Yep, I'm exactly. glad you brought up Storm of Chaos because this is actually where that backfired, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. because basically, um, well, they did, Games Workshop didn't realise that most of their players had orc armies and the orcs were quite fun during that edition. So it's supposed to be the kind of final conflagration between Karl Franz and the Empire with Volton and Archaon and the Everchosen and what actually happened is that the Orcs just killed everybody and that the Chaos players were in a huge like sorry not a huge a minuscule minority mm-hmm. and so never made it out of Norska uh, okay and so then they were and like oh Archaon. no they've, they've made it to Middenheim it's like when who won a game yeah yep. um, cannons are good and what yeah. <laughs> I didn't and didn't the whole um, thing didn't work didn't Grimgore Ironhide headbutt Archaon yes that was the end of that campaign, yeah. Yeah, which I felt like was end. it was a reasonable, um, it was like not. end, considering how orcs did. It was nice that they didn't have it as a like Carl Franz Archeon kind of thing. Yes, but, but in terms was, of management of the thing, it it was bad. But again, you're just you're just coming down to how many people won certain games and what territories. So yeah, I think yeah. With a narrative campaign that's a small number of players, you've got like instead of one or two possible options did he get this terrain piece or Mm -hmm. not did he win the game or not um you've got did this certain thing happen in the game there's like five ten multiple multiple things that can each come and affect the story of your world yeah Yeah. and again it's just more effort to put those in Mm. but 
you can make, you can get much more information out of each game that then affects the game the, the whole campaign yeah so I think that's what brings me on to how I've tried to manage that with the Necromunda campaign that we're about to start and what the way I've managed that is I wrote a um, an opening passage narrative passage for the dome that the, the, the story is going to be told in which is Angel's Canopy yeah um, and then I've encouraged the players to now write their own narrative intro stories for their gang mm. and for that story to not only be cool because it's fun to read cool stories but also to then give me an idea of how they want their gang to play out like what story what arc they want their gang to engage in which is obviously going to evolve organically I hope but at yeah. least gives me a starting point to allow I hope players to have the game that they the games that they want in at least the first cycle of the campaign before we then take a step back and have a look at how our games have evolved and that, that's how I'm planning on managing that anyway and that took me immediately back to playing Inquisitor with my mate Mike on his bedroom floor yeah. so like most of our gaming in inverted commas would be like we'd write a passage of something and then like a couple of weeks later having like email stuff backwards and forwards or talked about it on like literally the school bus we'd be like cool well that could be a scenario so let's play an hour's game of that this weekend and so when I, when I read the um, Angel's Canopy um, intro which you posted up which I think Matt's going to dramatically read for us in just a moment we said there'd be um, dramatic readings we meant like it. I was just so excited about it having not really engaged A in the Necromunda setting mm -hmm. uh, which I loved when I was about 12 B in 40k as a universe in general in so long that like just reading some of that stuff and thinking about Dan Abner and Ian Watson and all yeah. those phenomenal a writers bunch. Exactly, and th those images and settings, and I found that even though it's three in the morning, and I just finished wrestling with Yak Tribe and trying to get my <laughs> um, gang uploaded, yeah. the immediate response was opening a note on my computer and yeah. like writing out a short passage, and yeah. like, and that was just a response to the setting that you'd given us, and then going, oh well, actually now I have a bit of an idea about these miniatures that I painted back in April mm -hmm. they now have names and yes. so those names are going to tell me something and actually the narrative is just a brief introduction to about half of those people and mm -hmm. like the the vaguest suggestion of what that person's personality might be within <clears throat> the context that they are like vat grown su super barbarians um, yeah <laughs> from so for context um, Adam's using house Goliath yeah so yeah Matt would you like to give us a uh <laughs> I'd love dramatic to. reading of Angel's Canopy by Alex Lay. Yes, this is Alex's twenty nine. <laughs> I have written it in crayon. <laughs> yeah, and signed it at the bottom. It's really nice. You're gonna show it to your mum. It's, it's on her fridge, fish. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's took my junk. Straight in there. Anyway, Angel's Canopy by Hive standards was a fairly stable place. The Dome's major territorial disputes were largely settled long enough to even see some semblance of a cohesive economy throughout the Dome. Naturally, border wars broke out all along the Dome's outer lands, and more entrepreneurial gangs occasionally seized new territory from ailing rivals. However, towards the centre of Angel's Canopy, Sector 6 now found itself with a large trading outpost run by the Merchant and Water Guilds. Around Sector 6, spilling out and expanding into Sector 5, the most central point of the dome, drinking holes and gambling dens thrived on the neutral ground in a region known locally as Trash Vegas. Controlled by the Guild, 
Trash Vegas kept the credits flowing like wild snake for the guild, and the population fairly malleable as a result. Angel's Canopy took its name from the vast of miles of ducting that ran in a perfect circle in the uppermost part of the dome. The ducting, home to a strange bioluminescent substance, glowed with an eerie, almost green glow. Being several miles into the air, and with no means of access, every ganger in town had a different theory as to what caused the glow. However, no one knew for sure, and anyone who ever tried reach the halo never came back, so eventually everyone stopped trying. Even Ratskin scouts refused to attempt the journey. That was until the quake. The quake changed everything, and not for the best. It was over in seconds, but the devastation was beyond comprehension. The quake sent tremors hundreds of miles around the dome, collapsing territories, burying entire towns, ripping apart manufacturing districts, and even famously causing a forge to implode in on itself. Millions were lost, and most inconveniently, a chasm over 30 miles in circumference and unimaginably deep had emerged on or under what was formerly the area known as Sector 5. In seconds, Trash Vegas and the guild's most central form of economic power had vanished. Most eerily of all, the bioluminescent substance of the halo had started to fall, fall in a perfect wavering green column down from the halo and straight down the pit that was Sector 5. As quickly as Trash Vegas had earned its name, so was Angel's Fall named instead. Angel's Fall borders started, uh, borders started collecting veins of the mysterious substance as the luminescent green cloud flowed from the halo like a majestic, da dancing ash snow. The houses started to prepare for the inevitable, the mad dash to claim the riches of the fall and, above all, make their way below to prospect new, untold wealth and sources of power. However, there was one problem. The quake had caused chaos and instability. The one fragile piece of the dome's economy was gone, and its ruling class of guilders either garrisoned in Sector 6 or laying broken and dead at the bottom of the fall. Every gang smelled opportunity for expansion, and with many gangs' territories in tatters, there was nothing to lose. So, as the dust settles, the houses went to war. Yes! <laughs> I cannot wait to play in this campaign. That was a lot longer than I thought it was. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the start well, of it. Well, well yeah. read. It's really good. Nicely done, Alex. Thank you. And the so, point of writing something like that uh, was uh, not to necessarily show off, but to give people as, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a vivid background as possible yeah so and with different you know you've got that whole thing about the gambling dens in trash vegas which um james who's going to be using gene Steeler cult immediately jumps on in the way that i hoped he did which was using yeah. that as a um a point of insurrection um also having a ruling class that's now broken but garrison somewhere so they may come back later yeah and just basically offering different entry points for where you want your narrative to start that was the point it I think you've done you've done everything that I think you should do with that kind of thing. There are there is structure which people can build around for their own narrative. There's as you say pulling points where they can they can go, "Oh, I'm going to take this one little sentence and I'm going to build on it and help create the world mm -hmm. with this." So you can you say one thing about the trading outpost and you somebody else can then flesh that out a bit. But you've also included 
a lot of uh, possible things to fight over. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of like things that people would be actually going for. So it's not just oh, did I win territory or did I win money or from doing this fight, but also you've given secrets. Mm-hmm. There are things that are unknown. Mm-hmm. There is something that people can decide what they want to do about it. Yeah, I, I mean, from a from a storytelling perspective, we're we're immediately provided with context. We're provided with setting. Um, Matt may be less aware of this, but for Necromunda players, like none of that stuff is particularly canonized, but is also not impossible, which is where kind of the better Cal Jericho stories come in. Um, the comic books there, you you know what the Hive Primus is like, but mm-hmm. you find yourself in new settings within that that are perhaps reflective of real society or films or something that has some key element that we're we're hooked into. So like the bioluminescence for me really jumped out as being like okay, so yeah. that's something that like is of interest i don't know what that is i imagine that's going to be important in the campaign so i'm going to focus on it yeah um as as a single example so 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 context setting and and as as you were saying matt mystery like i want to know what happens next and so my games are going to be finding that out yeah Mm -hmm. and speaking of your games yeah um just to give an example of a piece of how I wanted the, the players to respond, Adam responded as he said with a piece about, regarding his gang. I think this is slightly shorter, but it is. My, apologies, if not. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm also willing to read mine out, but we'll, I think maybe I'll save that for another time. Maybe I'll because um, we were thinking about asking people to um, record to theirs. record theirs yeah. themselves as well, and if they get them to me this week, yeah. as well as yours, I might put them at the end of the episode. Cool, that sounds makes sense. Yeah, so, we'll yeah. so I'll do the outro, and okay. then yeah. I'll put people's and the, like introduce yourself and then put it But let's do Adams for now. Just so to... Adams going to read his passage and stick around to the. And you're playing Goliaths. Yeah, yeah. so I'm playing oh, House. House it right. really yeah. well. That's great. See, the podcast is educating people, and that's yes. Yeah. And we're going to try and make sure that the people that are recording are not recording like they are recording on Voxes <laughs> in Hive Primus. Yes. Did I get that right? So well. Yeah, amazing. I said some so more sci-fi well. words. Laser beam. <laughs> pew pew. No. You've lost all credibility. Right. Last pistol. Oh, that okay. is a thing. I know that one. Okay. Um, so my just bit of context my uh, gang which the other players will have this context which I'm saying now is called the Hasgard Oilers um, here we go Odin sniffed the air acrid notes played through the fog of the sump storm's coming boys we best make our way topside it's one thing farming this gunk another if it lands on you growled Thorn the other Hasgard oilers murmured in monosyllabic agreement, down tools, remove welding masks, and set about harnessing up for the trek back to what remained of Hasgard, their oasis within the remnants of the dome. That's when the lasfire swooshed into the Plasgreet debris from all sides, spraying flecks of rubble in all directions. Incoming! barked Vane with a grimace, blood trickling from his forehead where a larger piece of shrapnel had impacted. Helmor's rump, let's be having them then, bellowed Sledge, gleefully thumbing the activation room on his power hammer. I'd like to see Lasfire get through this. He vaulted over the low wall of their salvage confines, hurtling towards the source of the attack, willfully inviting enemy fire. Lasblast glanced off his furnished plate, shrouding his hulking form in a red glow. Point and click. And remember, the Emperor protects, Pike said wryly to Dave, youngest member of the Goliath gang, as he spun the chamber of his stub gun and followed his fellow gangers into the firefight under the green bioluminescence of Angel Falls. Cool. Yeah, nice. So I, you don't learn anything about my gang as there, apart from 
kind of what their armament is and how their reaction is to being attacked. But and that's that not something that's they're trying much. to no. uh, farm the bioluminescent stuff. Yeah, they're currently farmers, and um, you get all of the names and sort of. There is an actual sound mouse. Is that, uh, yeah, there's a, there's an actual sound mouse that I just saw scuttle across the floor. Oh, sorry. That's cute. It, it just look there it is. You see it? Oh, in here or out there? No, no, out out through the through the window. It's just about to come in. Hey, buddy. I want to get a picture of him. For He's really nice. Yeah. Oh, oh no, he ran away. Oh, oh, sad. Anyway. The mouse is gone. Uh, I completely forgot what I was saying. Yeah, something about Necromunda. Anyway, the the, the point of, of writing that was that um, it made me think about who the who the miniatures were as people within a setting, as yeah. opposed to this guy's got a grenade launcher because that's a good way of hurting people. Yes, and yeah. um, and that's what we're trying to encourage. It's trying to encourage. We haven't even rolled any dice for this campaign yet, and yet it feels like it's already got so because there's been other stories coming in. We'll yeah. hopefully get the players to record their stories and send them on the end. Yeah. And um, so I guess what I'm trying to say, my advice to anybody who's listening to this episode, in particular with uh, thinking of running a narrative campaign, give yourself plenty of time before you start the campaign to really get encourage people to engage with it before you've even rolled any dice. It yeah. just really helps to build the momentum, and I think we're all now incredibly excited to, to, to kickstart. Yeah, um, and as a side part to that narrative and the, the kind of the encouragement of immersion with it, um, although you're not being massively strict with uh, painting targets and having gangs ready, we are definitely taking into consideration gangers ought to be as WYSIWYG as they can be. Yes. So that your miniatures actually represent the characters in the narrative yeah. that we're forging. And avoids confusion. And avoids confusion, and additionally, um, that people will progress with their painting. So it's yeah. not like you have to finish this straight away, but these miniatures matter more than like the 10 free guild archers that I've got in my living city. What, what if he loses an arm? Uh, cut can, it off. Is that a possible? Under Gang War 4, he can now uh, buy a replacement bionic arm. Ah, uh, okay. So would you repaint it? Personally, you, it I just have. Has... Well, so that's, that's a big question. So yeah. like when I used to play Inquisitor, I would uh, either completely destroy a model and rebuild it, or... Mm build an alternative version of it Yes. Um, what you will often see and you saw this sometimes happening with things like Path to Glory where you would have a general who perhaps you would then with the war scroll want him to be mounted or on a yeah, yeah. Or, you know on a horse and then on a dragon or whatever like use the same head and weapon component uh, and, and build like iterations of yeah. something yeah that'd perhaps. be cool and it's easier within Necromunda because ultimately box by box the, the games are relatively cheap yeah, true. Sixteen or something it's, for a box of uh, twenty-five down to twenty at most. Twenty. At most, yeah, um, yeah. Blood Bowl is sixteen. Man. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you, you know, that gets Still, you ten. Yeah. That gets They're you ten. Kids. Yeah, it gives you ten variants. So mm. you can, in theory, if somebody gets a cool new weapon, or they do indeed get a barnic arm, or something along those lines, it's actually relatively low cost output to then build that model. And then you've got spares if your other gangers go in different directions and things as well. Sure. So it yeah it, it that's why that's you know the, the economy behind it is quite uh, palatable in mm. in that commander. Also magnets, magnets yeah exist. Yep, they do. <laughs> I've heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's all I had to say. On that. No, it's really cool. I've I've never sort of done that thing with Path to Glory, but you could you definitely could do. Uh, it'd be nice to see like at the end of a, a big campaign here's my guy to start and then here's two, three, four versions of him yeah, yeah. It's, it's also the kind of realms at war approach to an extent as well um, whereby you know you have your trapper or your hunter or whatever it was within that iteration this year it's ethermists where you're going 
okay, this is a character that I have, but actually um, what I know a lot of people have done is like use that as an excuse to convert up and paint a cool miniature, and then you're going to say, okay, so that had a specific war scroll for this event, but going forwards he's going to be my general, and so for me that meant pinning a war dancer onto a dragon. Yeah. Um, for Alex that meant um, that your admiral became lots of different iterations of things. Um, Fire Slayer on a on a magma droth that was augmented with warp stone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know there, there's opportunities to recycle and develop. Yeah. I have actually done this quite a bit in D and D. The most notable one was uh, in Pathfinder actually, where alchemists at level seven just uh, pretty much all of them. in if you were playing serious play, if you were taking the optimal builds. Uh, they all take wings at level seven, right? So right. you you have a nice alchemist model, but then you need one that he, they just permanently have wings when they hit level seven. So I bought a second one with wings yeah. and did the whole sculpt onto yeah. the back with his with an, on top yeah. of his cloak. Yeah. So but that, also that was be... one where I just definitely did that. And and that's it. And that should also be exciting because you've kind oh, of it's like, really cool. Like, yeah, yeah. Of like I've got this. You'd, I don't know. Like you've you've crafted not only this model, but you've crafted this character as well. You're invested yeah. in it. Yeah, definitely. It's the same reason we're all addicted to Netflix. Is it? Is it? No, not really. <laughs> I don't understand what you meant. Uh, cool. Just why it's the same reason we invest in TV shows is the point I was making. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. No, it's good. Right. Uh, anything else to add on the narrative? Um, only narrative. if you do, if you are running a narrative campaign of any description uh, for any system and you think you've got some cool narrative and you'd like for the opportunity for it to be dramatically read out. <laughs> Adam um, is available. Um, for, we are available. How much Adam? Um, yeah, like a lot. It's quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he, said, he, he says a we lot. We just got it free. He says he says a lot. Buy him a Subway, it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, the point is, um, tweet me, Alex Lay, L-E-Y, not 910 Give me the lowdown on what's going on and let's have a chat about it because I'm always keen to hear what other people out there in the narrative community are up to. Were awesome. you born in the year 910? No, the 9th of the 10th is my birthday. Ah. <laughs> That's why you can't come to Angel Call. That's why I can't come to Angel Call because I'm turning uh, 30 when it happens. Oh. <laughs> I, don't know, I can't come to Angel Call because I'm a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a legitimate excuse. Yeah, uh, that is fair. I am due to go biblical this year. <laughs> so. yep. Anyway. Anyway, on that note, let's go to open play. Uh, welcome back. We're talking now about open play, and specifically, Matt is going to give us a bit of an insight into um, Warhammer Champions. Yeah, well, I'm going to sell you on it. I've already sold because it's got an app. That it's makes the cards app. look cool, right? Yeah, yeah I, I have. Um, cool. Well, let, let's treat me as the guinea pig here because um, I don't like deck building games. I do have, I do have all of the Shades Bar cards all now, which is developed since we last listened. Do you mean deck building games like Dominion or? No, I like just anything that involves cards in general is okay. a bit beyond right. my right. attention so span. Ones where you, you build a deck by buying cards. I don't I think right. so maybe magic. I've never actually trusted GW to make a deck building game. That's well, joy. So first of all, this is not Games Workshop. Is it not? It is not a Games Workshop game. Well, they have just licensed the brand. Okay. So same as Total War or Total Warhammer. They literally just Why have, don't they call it that? I, I don't know. I call it Total Warhammer all the time because it's such a cool name. Um, but they like Creative Assembly just have license to use Games Workshop IP. Okay. This is the same. It's Play Fusion, who have another game called Lightbringers, which is relatively similar. Okay. Uh, but they've sort of 
taken that game to a to a next step in its evolution. This probably would have been Lightbringers two, um, but they've Games Workshop branded okay. all of the stuff. So, so G Dog went up to me. Do you want our IP? And they went absolutely. Yeah, they sell it in yes, Games Workshops, <laughs> but they don't run any events at Games Workshops at all. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is this why it's not been in White Dwarf? Or has it been in White Dwarf? I, so I actually don't Dwarf know. Yeah, no, released. probably. But then Total Warhammer was in White Dwarf. True. So, Total so, Warhammer. So was Deathwing in like 1992. Yep. No, fair enough. So the idea is uh, that it's so it's a trading card game, and you pick your deck out of one of the four AOS factions. So I need alliances. Alliances. Right, okay. so, so death, death alliances. destruction, death destruction, order, order chaos. Yeah. Um, your deck consists of four champions that you pick and they're always going to be like in play. Shotgun Archeon. So Archeon is an option, but then you have 20 points to spend on champions. And champions are the only things in the game that cost a certain amount. Okay. So every other card doesn't really matter. They, you can always play it. doesn't cost mana like magic or anything like that. But champions have a cost. So Archeon out of your 20 points, I think he's something like 16. That's fair. So you need chaos champions to go with him or somebody mookie that's really simple um so i think a chaos warrior champion as one of the simplest champions is one point yeah so you can still fill out the rest of your like champion slots but and you need to bring four but you can still bring rk on on a gash or godrak or some cool people basically uh, the Celestine Prime's in there as well, I think. He's very expensive. Well done on naming uh, a Grand Alliance Order character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is one. The Celestine yeah, Prime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's... Is Croak in there? No. Croak is not in there. Uh, I'll go through what there actually is later. But um, So you have your four champions, um, and then you have four blessings, which you also pick, but they're all the same cost, so I can uh, just pick them if I want. I can have two of any card that I want, so I'm allowed two of the same blessing. I'm allowed two of the same champion if I want. But named characters, I can only have one of. So you right. can't have two Celestine Prime or something cheaper. I can't have two Lothans. Does it have the unique keyword? They do have a little U on the card. Oh. Yeah. Just so that means that you, that you can only have one of them in your deck. Otherwise, you can have uh, two Champions and Blessings or three of the other types of cards. So I have four Blessings and four Champions. Oh. And effectively, those Blessings uh, come into play when my Champion completes quests. I'll explain what that means in a sec. The rest of my deck is then 30 cards. These are the ones that are actually randomized. Um, so shuffled. I shuffle them and I draw a certain amount of them and you play them. So the blessings and the champions are always on the table. The deck is just 30 cards. So it's quite a small deck that you actually play with. What, for context, uh, would a Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh deck Magic like? is 60. Wow, okay. Yu-Gi-Oh is 50, I think. Pokemon is also 50. Sure. seeing it played at Magic Madhouse right. um, so it, it is a lot smaller than those things but you've got another 8 cards that are just always on the table yeah. um, then effectively you get 2 actions in your turn you either play a card from your hand onto one of your champions and your champions can only control one thing at a time so if they're currently controlling a spell they can't put another spell down or another unit down you have to put it on a different unit right uh, or uh, champ you have to put it on a different champion if you want to play it, um, and it, you or you can pass. Passing means that at the end of my uh, turn, I draw a card. So like mulling. 
It's not like so you don't draw by default in this game. Okay. I can use both of my actions to play two cards, but then I'll no, I'll draw no cards. I can pass on both and draw two cards, but I won't do anything else in the game. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? So normally no, in Magic, but... you'd draw a card and then you'd get certain numbers of actions to play. In this, you skip doing actions in order to, to draw cards. Oh, okay. It's just like in Shadespire. Uh, do you skip? You, 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 can, you, can, you can, can skip an action. You can cycle cards rather than yes. making an action. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it's the same thing. Okay. Uh, but you don't, you don't cycle out of your hand. You just draw a new one into your hand so you can just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, so then the so main the action is in effect revealing more cards to you so you have a broader option for you have a broader option for the next turn or you need things to happen in the next certain turns so the main the main thing that makes this game quite different is that there is like numbers in the corner of each of the cards yeah um, and they I'll show you what one sort of looks like but I'm sure you uh, people listening can go and google champions cards uh, so a card might have a like number in the top left and the top right and the other one and the bottom right, and effectively as you play the game at the start of my turn before I have the opportunity to play actions, I rotate all of my cards clockwise. You tap them, sort of, but they go all the way round. Right. right. So I turn it ninety degrees and it stays there, and it does the thing that's in the top left now that it's been turned to ninety degrees. Oh right, so it okay. always so does different functionality based on its orientation. So it completely changes based on the orientation. So, like for instance, this one, which is an alpha charger, has a one in the three corners. Yeah. So that will do one damage when it first comes down because mm -hmm. you're re reading the card. It says corner damage to your opponent. So when it comes down, it does its corner thing, and then when my next turn hits, I turn it ninety degrees, and it's got a one in the top left, so it does the next one. Yeah. Then I turn it so it's upside down. Yep. Okay. And it does the next one. Also one. Also one, but some of them might increase, sure. etc. Um, and then at the after it's then it's run out. There's nothing left in the fourth corner. Yeah. So it's then finished. When cool. I turn it to that corner, I see that there's nothing in the corner, and it goes in my discard pile. Discard pile. Yep. Yeah. So that's a really cool like mechanic that it has, and there's a load of uh, different cards. I'll see if I can find like. And so that one had some text that said that it does more damage if it's against a champion. That costs loads of... That, like, that costs a certain amount. Like yeah, so if, you, if that was hitting Archeon, it does more damage. Two, then two, then two. Yep. Um, there's stuff like... Uh, so there's some pretty easy... Like, that just does one and then two. So it's finished earlier. Okay. But it stops your uh, opposing unit from deploying... Your opposing champion from deploying spells. So if right. he's in my third lane your what would be second lane because it's opposites can't deploy champions so my very left your very right if I played him there then you'd stop deploying the same thing happens with champions except they have uh, quests in their corners yes so they don't have numbers they have uh, like icons of things that you have to do so there's the Lord Veritant as an example I can't remember exactly what he is, but his top left icon means that his I have to do damage to you mm -hmm. uh, on that lane. So if anything happens because of a card that he's played, yep. then he rotates one ninety degrees. The next one I think is player beast unit. Does that yep. sort of make sense? So it's got a picture of a beast. So as soon as he plays a beast unit and controls it, he rotates again. Yep. 
I can't remember what the next one is. Swirly blue thing. Uh, as soon as he plays a spell, it rotates. Yep. And the next one is beast. Beast again. So it, and then once he's done that, he's back to the top. So he's basically Colin spamming um, Griffhounds. Yeah, he. Uh, you can do Griffhounds or Alpha Chargers or yeah. those sort of things, Star Drakes. Um, but you need to do other things. He can't just spam one thing again and again and again mm. because he'll get stuck on the spell. One. Yeah. Like sure. He has to do the spell. Uh, once he gets back round to the start again the app's trying to connect you to a game now oh it's just making me play games um, <laughs> brilliant it uh, means that he has completed his quests yeah. and the blessing that is underneath him activates okay so there are four randomised blessings that you did choose but you randomise them at the start and you put them face down Yeah. and at that point I turn over the blessing and do what it says. And it might be like six damage to your opponent, and you gain six health, or something like that. Or that sounds good. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, so those are generally really good, but they're very hard to activate. And you're trying to activate four heroes all at the same time. So it's like, do I spike that hero to try and get him out first, or do I do get four of them one step mm -hmm. along? You know. Uh, so it's a really cool game. Uh, I've very much enjoyed it. And as you said, Alex, there's an app that you can play games on anything that you get physically you can scan and you then own it in so the like app a QR code type thing like. yeah it's actually got doesn't it do um, AR does AR with the card doesn't it what do you mean AR augmented reality well, it's just like a camera po like Pokemon Go no no it doesn't do that at all Oh, I no. thought that's what it did. No, oh, it's, less interesting. It's now. got um, it's got little like little <laughs> dots around the corner of the cards that you can barely see. Yeah. But when you're playing the game, they make no impact. And, but and when you scan it, camera so that it knows what you've got. Exactly. Yeah. And then it uses that and puts it into your app. So I, you know, you get a booster and it's got RK on in. And so that allows you to play with your physical deck digitally. Yep. In a Absolutely. Way that the book industry would have. Yeah, well. and actually, uh, <laughs> there's yeah, some mechanics in the app that mean that it's better to play with scanned physical cards rather than digital cards. Only oh, okay. in terms of like the silly currency that exists that lets you buy avatars, but you still get that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, so it's really good because you can just play a game in 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe. Okay. Once you both know it, it's really really easy. Um, I played we went down on Tuesday and I played three games against Kieran and two games against Andy yeah in one evening where we were mostly drinking beer yeah do you not then get beer on your relatively expensive bits of card nah it's fine interesting you can put them in sleeves yeah if I you want like them to be beer proof but also so like generally trading card games have a very high like cost of entry or they they to to have a playable deck it's sure, quite yeah, expensive yeah. I've seen magic happen yeah so you I mean you can get the magic decks that cost 20 quid that come in the packs you don't but win with those they're dreadful um, this because it's got so much of a smaller card base and it's not as serious as magic you can buy the starter decks which are 12 pounds and yeah. have a booster pack in them and play a very very like me and Kieran played with just those decks and right. I mean, it's I a very good game it's it. I mean, you can do that as a format for Magic if you're drafting. Yeah, it, uh, it's sort of similar. I'm speaking as if I've ever played Magic. <laughs> I need to point out I that have I no idea how to play Magic at all. No, it's, I mean, it's way more complicated. Like The, so the description the... that I just gave, I'm fairly sure I could now just sit down with anybody and give that description and then we'd be playing again. 
Yeah, magic would take a lot longer, and I'd need cards in front of me. And dice to track wounds. Yep. Yeah, this you don't. You you have a life tracker, so the the ultimate aim is to kill your opponent, get them down to zero life, and there's no there's no blocking. There's no this does this damage to this creature. Yeah. It's always damage goes straight to your opponent. Yeah. Okay. But there are lots of like removal spells, reduced damage spe- like units. Yeah. If I put down a paladin protector, mystic shield, etc., they reduce the damage that your units are doing. Yeah. So there's a lot of interactivity that way. I think. And can you heal up in the same way that you can with the with yep. your planeswalker or wizard? You can just heal up with certain spells. So cool. there's some like signal spells and some death spells. Not many destruction ones. Nah, I mean they don't um, get anything, do they? Yeah. They have one thing that heals them. But yeah, not not very much at all. How many boosters do you need to buy to discernibly own all the grots that you need? All the grots. <laughs> what is in terms of just buying the boosters? Yeah, you'd probably have most of them by buying a booster box, which is twenty four boosters. Uh, how much is a box? A booster. How much is a booster? It's Three pounds. That's pretty good. Mm, yeah. I think it's uh, a yeah. reasonable. Yeah. Like, it, it's the same kind of cost as magic, really, for the booster packs. Yeah, so this is this. this but you get the extra like digitalness. Yeah. Are, yeah, so boosters, kind of, are they boosters in the same way that um, booster packs used to be for Pokemon, where you have absolutely no idea what you're getting in the booster? Yeah, yeah. correct. Close, close boosters. Yeah. So one rare. That was always my issue with these things. I think in this, there's always one of each alliance card. There's always one rare, and there's always one champion. Oh, so you don't even get a boosters by allegiance? No. Except in the app. The app, you can buy a specific, specific cards. Booster. Sounds to me like a middle ground between what Hearthstone tried to do a couple of years back and magic itself. Yeah, so Hearthstone was the kind of we're simple magic kind of yeah. thing and had a very, very similar like interface yeah. on the web, like very slickly designed kind of stuff. Um, but Hearthstone, I'd say, would be a bit yeah. more complicated than yeah. this. Like, there's a lot more high-level play, and games take a lot longer of Hearthstone. Yeah. Like they're yeah, yeah. half an hour, forty minutes, right? I don't know. I think they're I think they're about that kind of length. Um, I've, I've been around Hearthstone, but yeah. cards don't excite me. No, no. Um, I used to really like Magic cards because the particularly the Karl Kapinski art that was on a lot of the ones in kind of the late nineties were just stunning pieces of artwork. Um, I'm quite far away from my microphone, so I'll come back. Yeah. Um, I really liked the art on the magic cards in the 90s and then just despised the game with a passion. Um, and I found the AOS art really hit and miss. This is at least consistent. Good. Um, it's I'm consistently which... bad, though. No, no, no. It's <laughs> no consistently, I've seen a couple of cards like, that are nice. Like, yeah, I wouldn't say exquisite, but it's good. Yeah. And it's not got the like magic thing where some of them are appalling and some of them are excellent. Yes. Magic has some just dreadful art stuff on it. Yeah, I mean, it also has literally trillions of different cards that have been produced over the years. Yeah. You're still looking for that mouse. I think I saw it, but yeah. it's fine. Um, yeah, I'd, I would probably play it. I don't... Yeah. I think it's a really good game where if I... I've got a couple of games like this, but this is kind of the real extreme of this. If I can't be bothered to bring my army down right. to club, I can throw two decks of this into the top of my bag come down and see people and see other people play have a, a beer game, play a game have a beer 
yeah. and then play a game of this after one of them has finished and doesn't need to head home for 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I can really nice see the appeal of that. that. That's the kind of thing. And it keeps you, you're still in the world, you're still like, oh, I can play this Stormcast deck or this Goblin deck or, you know, and it's the same sort of stuff. It's, it evokes the same imagery of you've just played the game of AOS, but yeah. it's just a much more succinct kind of thing. And it's a beer and pretzels game. Cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really great. I'll probably bring it down tomorrow. Cool. Club. Uh, after I've shot Jay Channer off with my living yeah, city exactly. list. Yeah, then, uh, then I can actually have a game. Shoot you. off with these Caradron. Uh, yeah, it's gonna. Even though Caradron are now terrible and the shooting <laughs> meta is dead, I'm gonna have a really hard time in that game. <laughs> like, yeah. Now you need to play the games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll bring them down tomorrow. I think I'm meeting Kieran just to sort out a couple of things for our for our D and D weekend up in York, which we'll talk about probably next episode yeah. I'm not sure uh, yeah will we record again before we go uh, we'll, make, we'll be releasing that Sunday we will be so we will have to record before then yes mm. so we'll have to talk about that one afterwards or we can just leave the recorder on for the whole weekend and they can just have like a 24 hour D&D no, session no, as an episode nobody wants that no, everybody wants that if you want no. that tweet now <laughs> Well, yeah. not now, because well, they will be now for them. Won't It'll be it? now for them. Yeah, I'm speaking in in the present for our listeners rather than the present for us. Okay, Adam's always in the present. No, no. Uh, so yeah, it's um, it's really good for that sort of thing, and we should probably we can have a chat about it if we if we play a game at some point. Cool, be really good. See if you. I'll definitely around. give it a go. Yeah, yeah. Is there a Dragon Lord card? Not yet. No, at the moment no. order order is just Stormcast and Deepkin. Oh, line out. But the next, the next stuff should have elves, probably. I mean, the deepkin are just elves. Yeah, they're called elf as the type. Mm. Cool. cool, cool, cool. No, nice. Um, thanks for thanks for listening to my <laughs> chat about champions because I really like it at the moment. I'm really glad that you really like it because really like it. it kind of had this weird fanfare where like Rob Boyce and Kieran had like somehow acquired all of the starter decks like yeah, eight yeah. months ago. We're like. This is a thing, and we were like, no one has heard of the thing. No, it's not what even close to our. Yeah, what like, what's you going on? Talking about? And yeah. also, um, you've brought them to play against each other, and Rob lives in Manchester. And yep. then suddenly, everyone's like, oh yeah, no, it is actually a thing, which I was yep. surprised by. I thought they <laughs> just got scammed by some guy, guys who'd like accidentally printed a load of Warhammer art. Kieran's stuff's <laughs> really, really nice as well. It's got like a big map that you play on, and yeah. all that. Oh, it's really lovely. I'm being so facetious. I think he any... wasn't completely scammed. That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's always good for Kieran. And uh, right, should we sign off? I think we should. Uh, yeah. We'll be back in your ears soon. Um, I'm going to talk a bit more about some conversions and stuff that I've been doing. I think probably next time. Yep. Um, so we've been quite a, a narrative and like mechanics-based episode, so we'll keep trying to mix it up for you. Yep. Yeah. Um, it'd be really great to hear a, from you and maybe even Kieran as well if he's around about Angel Core. We will do an Angel Core episode just before. I think I've mostly confirmed the pack today, and it's been it's yeah. been conf- well. I, I'm hoping a couple more people give it a quick read off the yeah. off the Angel WhatsApp group just to make sure that my spelling is correct. Yeah, I'll um, just say one more thing about Angel Core, which people won't have read even though it's in the pack. Um, there is a list submission deadline, and it is not when you hand in the list at the start of Angel Call. Yep, you need like to submit your list year, a week in advance. There is a week in advance, and I will check them, and then they will be released so that other people can check them as well. Hooray! So, so nice. I like all that. the analysis can go into it, and maybe we'll do an episode where we do some analysis. That will be super fun. Just before um, they're and then we released. can win the event. Yep, with all of our prior knowledge. Well, maybe. Yeah, we'll just have to cut you out. I'll be turning 30 quietly somewhere. Who, are, who else yet. is not coming? We could get Donal. Donal's not coming. 
can have me, Alex, and Donal talking about yeah. lists. I mean, so I will. I will need the time to paint my army. So yeah, yes. that's true. <laughs> yeah. So we can just ban Adam from his own podcast. <laughs> It's not my podcast. It's true. Okay. Adam. I feel like we're going in circles so here, gentlemen. We, so are, indeed. Let's we are now sign signing off. off from Adam Cast. I mean, <laughs> Angel Cast. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.